0: Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, or send something to our mailbag, just send it to letstalktorah at gmail.com Torah at gmail.com and I will answer as many as possible. So if you listened to the last segment, to the last show, you got a, a feeling we started talking about Sodom. we talked about Abraham a lot. Um So Now I want to take a really totally different track. And that is, it's fascinating um, that there's another story in history extremely similar to the story of Sodom. So first I'm going to go through the basics of the story of the destruction of Sodom and who Sodom is and what happened. And then I'm going to tell you the other story. And then our job, our goal is to differentiate between these two really horrific places. And as both stories are not, you know, good people. But there's a difference in how wicked they actually are, and I think there's a lot of good lessons. So let's first go through what happens to them. So the two angels, this week's Torah portion, the angels had gone to Abraham. Abraham invites them in. Um, he feeds them. He gives them to drink. They tell him that his wife will have a child, and they go on their way. God tells Abraham, Sodom is going to be destroyed. Abraham prays. And, and when Abraham is finished praying, so the angels make their way into Sodom. And they run into Lot. So Lot begs them to come as a guest, which is fascinating, because um, it's, it's against the law to invite guests into your home um, in Sodom. But for some reason, Lot wants to. It does say that he recognized, I don't know if he knew they were angels, but he certainly, certainly recognized that they were very important. And because they were so important, he wanted the honor of having these people join his house for supper. The angels are an important line. The angels say, no, we'd rather stay in the street. And Lot says, no, you can't stay in the street. You come into my house. Brings him into his house. He does say, you know, don't wash your feet from the dirt of the traveling. In those days, it was common that after you traveled, wherever you stayed, you would wash your feet because your feet were all dusty and dirty and uncomfortable. So Lot says, do me a favor. Don't, uh, don't brush off anything from your feet in case they break down the door to check out what's doing with you. And who are you? I can say you just showed up. Okay. Lot sees, I guess, the dinner needs some extra salt. So Lote sends his wife to the neighbor to get salt. Lote's wife uh, complains to the neighbor, oh, it's crazy, we have my husband inviting guests. Do you have any salt? Of course, that neighbor now spreads the word. And it seems like the whole city is surrounding Lote's house. And they basically say, more than basically, they say, send us out your guests, we're going to have a good time with them. And uh, it didn't mean to just uh, beat them up, it meant uh, in a sexual way also. The Lot tries to plea with them, he says, you know, I'll give you my daughters, you can, uh, you can do whatever you want with my daughters, but these are my guests, they've come into my house, um, you can't do something to my guests, you know, officially I'm responsible to protect them, you can't do that. They don't want to listen to him. We just hired you to be a judge, and now you're doing this. So the angels pull Lot back in, and all the people become blinded. They, or at least they can't find the door. So it could be blind; just means they can't find the door, and they all make their way home. And then the angels tell Lot, "If there's anybody else in the city that you want to take out with you, go go get them." And he tries to get his daughter in laws to come, and they don't want to come. By the next morning, you're ready. Um, the angels tell Lot, "That's it." And they take Lot, his wife, and his two daughters, and they take him outside the city, and they say, run, you don't deserve to turn around, um, so don't turn around, and just head head for the hills. And Lot says, I don't want to go to the mountains, that's where Abraham is, it won't be good for me, can I go to this city, it's not so old. And the angels give in, and Lot will go there temporarily, and eventually he'll go into the mountains. Lot's wife turns around, because she's probably hoping her two daughters, the two married daughters are following her, and they're obviously not, She's famous that she turns into a pillow of salt. Fine. End of story. So again, this is, we, and we talked in the last segment, if you don't know all the things that are famous for what uh, Saddam did, just check the last show. We went through some of those details, some of those things they did, what kind of city they were, in a little more detail. Now I'm going to tell you a story that takes place. Um, the story is written in the last chapters of Judges exactly when it takes place is not clear, but it takes place somewhere in that period of time after the death of Joshua, before uh, before King Saul comes along. So in that 365-year window, somewhere during that window, this story takes place. So what happened was, there was a, a guy, he had a concubine, he suspected his concubine of not... Uh, of not being faithful, so he sends her home. And then a few months later, he, he goes after her to, you know, see what the situation is. Now just understand, the translation of concubine is that it's not a full-fledged marriage. In other words, when we marry somebody, you have to give the ring, you have to give her something, and there's a document called the ketubah, which says all the requirements that a husband has to his wife. Um, so that makes a full-fledged marriage. A concubine doesn't have that stuff. Technically, as long as she's in the husband's house. So she's his, but if she wants to pack out, she could. No divorce document is necessary. It's a different level of marriage. Anyways, the guy goes to, uh... She's backed by by her father, and her father wants her to stay married to the guy. Um, so the guy comes, and the father says, Oh, please come, and you'll eat, and you'll drink, and... He'll stay for a day, and stay for another day, and stay for another day. He kept in there almost for a week. And the man was ready to take his wife back, his concubine, still a concubine. So finally, he says to his father-in-law, you know, it's been nice here. We've been partying, and you've been very good, and I understand. You've been feeding me, and you've been taking care of me, but we got to leave. So he loads up the donkeys with food, and food for the donkeys, and, and food for them, and wine, and stuff. And they, they leave whatever city that was, and they're traveling. Now, again, in those days, you, you can only travel so far, right, by foot. So first, it seems they're near one area, and the lad that was with him said, this is not a good area, let's travel a little further. And they get to a city in the, in the area of Benjamin. Remember, each tribe has their area, and, uh, and they happen to be in a city in the area of Benjamin. So they go into the city, there's no one around. No one sees them. So basically, they camp out in the middle of the street. Right? Remember we had this story with the angels before? right? The angels were willing to stay in the street. This guy is in the street, but he'd rather be in someone's house. So it says an old man sees him in the street. and He says, Oish, what are you doing here? Where are you going? Um, and they say, you know, we're traveling. Um, it seems they were traveling actually to where the, the tabernacle was. And he says, oh, please come into my house. I'll take care of you. Don't worry, don't worry. Come. Takes him into the house. And they remember, they have their own food. They're not lacking for food. But the guy takes him into the house. Soon after, it says, uh, uh, wicked people, surround this guy's house, this old man's house. Now, it seems they wouldn't break into the house because they had respect for the old man. So they said, send out your guests. We want to have a good time with him. Again, in a sexual manner. And the old man says, no, please take my daughter, take his concubine. Clearly, they didn't look at concubines very, um, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Because, like, she's anyways not really married to him. So it's going to be worse what you do to him than what you do to her. So uh, you can have them. No, no, we don't want your daughter. We want him. But anyways, he sends out his daughter and the concubine. His daughter they don't touch, because they respected this old man. But they do um, have a time with the concubine. The next morning, when the man goes out of the house, right, and he sees his concubine laying there on the steps, and she's dead. So he's clearly not happy. He puts her on the donkey, goes home. When he gets home, it's a little gruesome story here, he cuts her up into 12 pieces, and he sends one piece to every tribe. Now, it seems one of the tribes included is the Levites because he does not send a piece to Benjamin. So here we have a very similar story so far. They were willing to stay in the street. Nobody invites them in, like the rules of Sodom. Um, A man comes and invites them in. The city, the people of the city, or at least some of the wicked people of the city, surround the house, and they want the man, just like the Sodomites wanted the angels. And in both cases, the the person who did the inviting, Lot, in the Sodom story, and the old man in this, it's called Pelegish BeGiver, by the way. That's the official, the concubine of Giver, or Pelegish Begiva, that's the name of the story. He offers his daughter, like Lot offers his daughter. Um, in both cases, it's interesting that they refuse, nobody wants the daughters. Um, the Sodomites don't get what they want. This, the people in Benjamin in this area in Givah did get what they wanted, but they got the concubine, not the man. So, so far, we're seeing a lot, a lot of similarities in how the people act. The difference is the next part of the story. In Sodom, we know that the angels get load out of town and they destroy the city. Everybody there is completely destroyed. You know, fire and brimstone. Here, the man goes home. He sends out these uh, pieces of his concubine all over Israel. When people, I, I'm sure he knew where to send it, when people got it, they, um, they started doing investigation, what's going on, they found the guy, and they got like 400,000 people together to make a protest. Like, this is not acceptable behavior. They did not riot. They did not, it was not permission to loot But uh, after they verify the story from the guy, so this basic army of uh, from eleven out of the twelve tribes march on Benjamin, and they say, uh, "Hand over those troublemakers; we are going to kill them." Now, by the way, by straight Torah law, there's no death penalty here. There was first of all, she's not really married because it's a concubine. Even if I say she's married, there's no witnesses. So I'm not saying they were good guys, right? But it doesn't mean that the other tribes have a right to just take them and execute them. Now, the other tribes' intention was that we want to make sure that we, we live on a certain level to a certain standard. And having these people in your city is such a low standard. These people have to be killed to, make a, uh, to, to show everybody else how we expect people to behave. But, of course, the people in Giva were um, not accepting. They say they're from our city. We will deal with our people. You should mind your own business. And technically, Benjamin had a right to say that. What happens next is tragic. There's a civil war. This army of 400,000 from all the different tribes decides we are going to teach Benjamin a lesson. This is not how we will allow people to live in our country. They get ready to go to war now. You can't just go to war without getting permission. So the high priest, the kohen gadol, wears what's called the choshen mishpat, a breastplate. We've talked about it in the past, with all different stones. And you could ask a question to the high priest, to the kohen gadol, and it would be like asking God a question. And God could send back an answer, and you deal with the answer. However, you have to be very careful how you ask a question. If you ask the wrong question, you'll be answered. But you asked the wrong question. They didn't ask God, should we go fight? They had already decided, we're going to war. Instead, they asked God, who should lead the charge? Which tribe should be in the front of the troops? So God says, now, this urvetumim, this breastplate, does not correct your question. It just answers what you asked. So the breastplate, uh, uh, the, the stone of Judah lit up. They understood, okay, Judah leads the way. They went to battle, and 25,000 soldiers from, these, from this army of 400,000 were killed. And, uh, and Benjamin was uh, in their city doing well. The tribes decide we're going to attack again. And again, they didn't ask God the right question. They didn't ask, should we be fighting? because they were taking matters into their own hands they had decided what should be done and therefore they they felt if we decide what should be done we just need a little uh, you know extra help on the side but really we're in control they lose another 15,000 the next day okay so now you lost 40,000 10% of your army um you're obviously doing something wrong so the people regathered they fasted they prayed they repented and this time they come to the priest, uh, to the high priest, to the king Gadol, and they say, should we go fight? Or maybe we... this is the wrong thing. Maybe the way we're going about this is all wrong, and maybe we should all go back home and find another way to deal with this. But riding, again, in the streets was not one of the calculations. So this time, the the breastplate says, you can go up. Then they ask, will we win? We can ask a second question. and says, yeah, you win. So this time they go up, and they demolish Benjamin's army. Um, Benjamin also lost, it seems Benjamin also lost 40,000. In other words, not all of them were soldiers. Could be women, could be children. But basically it decimated the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, then uh, afterwards the tribes felt bad after everything had happened, but Benjamin, there's no wives left, and there's there's like 600 men, and they, they need wives, so the, they find which people didn't have any representatives and therefore they went and they, they punished them and they took their, their girls and those became the wives and there was other places where they could take wives. fine, that's the end of the story. But tragic. But, the, but God didn't go ahead and destroy the whole city or the whole tribe like he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So can we find differences between... The story of Sodom, which again, you line up the story of Sodom, and you line up the story of what's called Pilagish BeGiver, the concubine of Giver, has a lot of similarities till the end when uh, when Sodom is completely destroyed and Benjamin is not. So what could be some differences? So I saw some. Fa- I have like I don't know, like four or five differences. Some of them could be a little um, hairline differences, but uh, we'll say them over. We'll talk about them, and we'll help ourselves out. So, the Ramban Nachmanides says that the problem with Pelegishgi is you were dealing with some low lives, even the verse says you're dealing with some low lives, and what was the problem that the leaders of Benjamin didn't protest right but But it doesn't mean that everybody was bad. You had a group of people who were bad, they were misguided. the people that were in charge should have dealt with it and didn't deal with it. That's not the same as a whole city of wicked people. That's number one. similar. the Barbboneel says that uh, the Pilegish be given a account and give it. This was like a first time major sin. while Sodom lived this way every day. This was their regular mode of operandi this they They lived as being cruel, evil, wicked people. You, again, you cannot compare. The concubine of Giva, the Pilagish of these were not people that lived to be wicked. The Akeda says, very interesting, and I think it's more focused. He says, by Sidom, I wrote down the words, it was institutionalized cruelty. In other words, it was being cruel with the blessing of society. The people from Benjamin, from Giva, they were sinners, that's true, right? Lust got the best of them. You look into the story. You, you can even understand that from the fact that, um, and the Mount Moses says it like this that they said they wanted the man, but he gave him his concubine, and they were satisfied with that because it was just lust. They just had this desire that they had to get out of them, right? In other words, this society in Giva basically was a good society. You had, a, you had this group of people that, uh, that their, their evil inclination, their lust got the best of them. That doesn't mean that the whole area has to be wiped out. Again, by Saddam, this was their culture. This is who they were. They were wicked people culturally. They didn't give charity because that's what they all believed. While, And they believed that somebody comes to town and you want to take the guy and, uh, and do whatever you want with him sexually. That's part of our culture. You're allowed to do such a thing. While in Giva... By by the Belaige we give it, this was like a first time, one time they couldn't uh, fight the evil incarnations. So I'm not saying they were good, but they weren't so bad. It wasn't in their bones, it wasn't part of the kishkes, as we say to be so bad that they deserved that they should all be wiped out. Um Samal Hirsch says also similar same idea that the that by Sidome, this was law. The law was we are anti charity, right? The law was that if you come to town as a guest, we could do whatever we want with you. That's the law. In in, in this area, in given Benjamin, of course it wasn't the law. That's ridiculous. You had some rotten guys, and the people on top uh, didn't know how to deal with them. But that's not a law. If your city has laws to be evil, you have to be destroyed. If there's some evil people in your city... Okay, they should be dealt with. There's different ways of dealing with them, but if you don't deal with them, it doesn't mean that your city deserves, deserves to be turned over. However, one thing I think in both stories is interesting to note. Um, both Lot and the old man were willing to give their daughters to the, to the mob to, to be done with whatever uh, the mob wanted to do with them. That is wild that it should be possible um, for a man to allow his daughter to be raped just because he wants to protect somebody that he brought in as a guest is, I don't know, just the thinking is is crazy. So on that, both places obviously had people that had the ability to think that way. That in itself is a major, major problem. Okay. One more thing, by the way, interesting, and this is what we've been talking about, um, there's a famous phrase in the Mishnah. A person says, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. So, um, some people say that that means that's an average person. But others say, that's acting like Sodom. So how could it be that you could have an argument if what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Some people say I'm a regular guy and some people say I'm like Sodom. Like, How does that even balance out? So an interesting answer is, That for a private person, we're not saying you're a great guy, but for a private person to live his life, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, you're a regular guy. You're not a good guy, you don't share, you don't try to help people, you're an average guy. But if if the community, if the city, if the country has a law, what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, that's acting like Saddam. And uh, which is, you know, the concept of probably being uh, socially liberal. Okay, so when you talk about the term being socially liberal, that's an idea, but I'm not going to have enough time to get into it. But I, I heard some fascinating stories this week. I think I have time for one. I think this is just a beautiful story. Probably has nothing to do with what we talked about. We'll see if I have time to discuss how. There was a man by the name of, uh, of Rav Weiss. He passed away a couple weeks ago. He, he authored at least seven, maybe even more, storybooks. Books where he collected beautiful stories. And this beautiful story is not in his book because it's about him. So I'm not sure if they said it by his funeral or they said it afterwards. But anyways, um, this Rav Weiss one time hired a contractor and needed about $15,000 worth of work. This contractor was so horrific that uh, not only he didn't do what he was supposed to do, he made things worse. Okay, so this Rav Weiss had to get another guy to fix up, and, uh, and that's what the money was used for. The problem was the first guy brought him to court and said, you hired me to do a job, I did my job. Maybe you didn't like it, but you, you didn't pay me anything. So this Rav Weiss knew that, that he was completely right, he would not be found guilty, um, and he went to court. But then he went home after they both said their size. The court said the answer the next day. And he says, you know, it bothers me that over money, and he wasn't a wealthy guy, okay? He was a poor man, that over money people should fight. It bothers me. There should be machoikis. There should be fighting because of money. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. I don't care if I'm wrong. So the next day you go back to court, and the court says, you know what, um, Rabbi Weiss, you don't owe him a penny. He's completely in the wrong. So everybody says, you know, it's true, but I don't want there to be arguing over money. So I'm going to pay, and they they made a payment plan. Either he made a payment plan with a worker, or he borrowed money and made a payment plan. It took him three years to pay back. He did not tell his family. After he finished paying, he made a whole party. He made a, what's called a Sudasmitsu. He made a whole party to celebrate that he was willing to pay a lot of money to make sure there's no argument. This story is mind-boggling, right? As he took his money that he didn't have to pay, and he made a party to teach his children. When we do mitzvahs, when we do the right thing, we celebrate. It doesn't. We don't have to only make a suda's mitzvah when there's a wedding, when there's a bar mitzvah. We can make a suda's mitzvah when we do something good, like making sure there's no machlekes, there's no argument and the music is playing. So I hope you enjoyed the short and sweet. Thank you to all the fans that listen to you. I can't do it without you. Thank you to wonderful production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Tour and our streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. Things from far.